Grace, mercy, and peace be unto you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Jesus said, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. You may be seated. We're in that portion of the church year where Jesus is doing a lot of teaching. He's teaching us about various aspects of our faith in him, about his word, about what it means to live as a Christian on this side of the grave and even into our eternal life. So today, here from the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is teaching the people about his fulfillment of the Old Testament in general and the law in particular. And that's an important thing for us to hear, just as it was for the hearers when Jesus said these words and throughout all of history. Man is sinful, and he likes to try and save himself or justify himself before God. The Pharisees tried to do it in Jesus' day, and we're no different even today. Now, our, one way our sinful hearts likes to try and justify or save ourselves is to go after the one to whom we must give account. If God, speaking through his law, shows us our sin, if he condemns us, Well, then stop God from speaking this law and you stop the accusation. Now, the sinful heart is also shrewd. It knows this is a blatant to go right after God. So we go after him in another way. We go after his law. We go after what God says. And we do this by a number of ways. The most obvious, though, is when we try to make the law achievable or when we make it not applicable to us or think that we somehow have some mitigating circumstances in our life to excuse our sin or to make our actions not sinful. Kind of a pivot that we try to do. This is one of those things that seems so obvious, but we come across it time and time again, even in our own lives. Perhaps it's because we've become so used to or even just numb to the fact of abusing God's grace. We're used to excusing ourselves. It's become the new normal to think that we can live opposed to what God's word teaches and says. Or we think there's some gray area we can exist in where our old Adam can willfully persist in unrepentant sin and still claim, I'm a Christian. Now, there's always a danger when we want to think God's word is unclear, that we can somehow manipulate it, that it's not applicable, or he's not really speaking or meaning what he says. But that tactic is nothing new. It's as old as the fall into sin. The devil asked Eve, and Adam was also standing right there, did God actually say you should not eat of any tree in the garden? Doubting God's word comes in many forms, even to this day. So if we can make it appear that God's word isn't clear, or somehow there's some wiggle room that we can fit what we desire, or we somehow can get God's word or his law to form what the world wants it to say, well, then we can somehow then justify ourselves. And in the history of the church, this has happened numerous times. It's always fascinating to see how it kind of takes shape and evolves to the extent that we have even now. Because our sinful flesh 
the fallen world, and the devil want us, when we look at the Ten Commandments, what we heard in that Old Testament reading, to look at those words and approach it from a standpoint of, so long as I believe in Jesus, what does it really matter what God's commandments say? I mean, did God really say those things? Is that really applicable to me now? But that's who we are in our sin. This is what we sang about a few minutes ago in the hymn of the day, All Mankind Fell in Adam's Fall, which, by the way, is the only hymn quoted in the Lutheran Confessions. From hearts depraved to evil prone, flow thoughts and deeds of sin alone. God's image lost, the darkened soul, seeks not nor finds its heavenly goal. Now, the other main way that man tries to justify himself, it's more subtle, but it's just as deadly. In the church, it's become more common and a plague that has worked its way into many spheres. So if God's law accuses us, and it does, and most definitely does, then God's law must be a negative thing, we reason. The law must be our enemy. The law gets seen in ways which try to deflect it, and our lives are twisted so that we can sound pious and use half-truths or try to reason that God's law or his whole world in general is not clear. But Jesus teaches you something contrary in the gospel reading. He teaches you that he came to fulfill the law and the prophets. And he teaches you that not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. He's clear of who he is. He's clear what he came to do. He's clear of what he has done. And likewise, whoever relaxes the commandments will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever teaches them and does them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. So the commandments, the law, are not meant to be relaxed or reason away. They're to be taught and done. Because the Ten Commandments, God's law, shows you God's will. Article 6 of the Formula of Concord confesses this when it says, The law is a mirror in which God's will and what pleases him are exactly portrayed. The mirror should be constantly held up to believers and be diligently encouraged for them without ceasing. So the Ten Commandments are good. They show you as this mirror reflecting back what is godly, what is good, as it reflects God's will. They teach you in the way you should go. And they instruct you as Christians what is to be your life as a Christian in this world. So they are good because God is good. God's commandments should not embarrass you. You should rejoice in God's commandments as a true fountain and channel. You see what is good in your life is guided by them. And Psalm 1 teaches, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. So the problem in our lives then, it's not with God. It's not with his commandments. It's with us. The problem lies in man. The problem lies in wanting to find our righteousness in the law, either in keeping it or deflecting it away or pivoting it away so that we answer to no one, not even God, and we're a law unto ourselves. No, you need the Ten Commandments. God gives them to you, and he knows you need them. And so God calls you to see your sin, and he calls you to fear him when you sin against him. So when we think we can look at the Ten Commandments then and just think, well, nobody's perfect, or I don't have to agree with all of God's words so long as I believe in Jesus, you're not looking at these things rightly. What does God say, however? He says, I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, 
visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. So the law has a promise attached to it. God promises punishment for those who sin against him. And you know that you have sinned against him in your heart and your mind, your actions, and your life. So to despise what God teaches and his commandments and teaches you is sinful. To look at his commandments and his word with disgust is shameful. So we should fear God. We should fear his punishment when we sin against him. We should also fear God when we take these things lightly in our life. A life that doesn't want what God wants and doesn't see the need for a new life in Christ and desires to live in accord with the commandments is a life that is a dying faith or already dead. Now in the epistle reading today, you heard these words. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. So the significance, then, of your baptism can't be underplayed. It's a daily drowning the old man who hangs around your neck. It's to crucify your old flesh. It's to look at your life intently in that mirror of God's law and see where you have sinned against him and want nothing to do with that sin. And it's to cling to Christ and his mercy who alone is righteous, righteous and forgives you of your sin and gives you his righteousness. It's to see that your righteousness is found in the one who fulfilled all righteousness, the one who actively fulfilled God's law perfectly, the one who was obediently, obedient perfectly to his father, accomplishing his will. And that is what you have, and this is the new life that you have, and the new man who daily emerges to live the new life you have in Christ. So there's a reason then why this section of Romans is included in the fourth part of baptism in the small catechism. What does such baptizing with water indicate? It indicates that the old Adam in us should by daily contrition and repentance be drowned and die with all sins and evil desires, and that a new man should daily emerge and arise to live before God in righteousness and purity forever. Where is this written? St. Paul writes in Romans chapter 6, We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too might live a new life. So God speaks to you. And as a Christian, God calls you to daily drown that old Adam. And it happens through contrition, sorrow, terror over your sin, and that repentance worked by the Holy Spirit. So hear those words of your Lord. Hear those words of Scripture. Don't excuse your sin. See it for what it is. Call it by its name. It's evil. See where it leads. It leads to hell. And so then you see then your Lord's words and look to your baptism because Christ has saved you. He has called you his own. He's washed away your sin. And he's worked this miracle of salvation in your life. So now as a baptized child of God, you're a new creation. As the baptized, you are to make use of your baptism each and every day. It's that daily garment that you wear. 
How you regard sin as a baptized child of God as one who has been forgiven, one who has been rescued, one who has been freed from it. And baptized into Christ, you have a good conscience to stand before God. And you have a new life as a Christian. You have a righteousness that covers you, too. It's the righteousness of Jesus. He is the one who said in the gospel reading, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. So when you think about then, all that has been prophesied in the Old Testament, all that had been promised, everything is fulfilled in Christ. Everything that God has commanded as well, the Lord has done it. And in the waters of your baptism, he covers you with his obedience. He covers you with his righteousness. He covers you with his death. He covers you with his resurrection. So now his righteousness, that's your righteousness. You were baptized into his death. And you have arisen from those baptismal waters and walk in the news of life. So now you hear those commandments, just like you heard a few minutes ago in the Old Testament reading. And as a Christian, you hear them and you see that they show you this new life that you live as you live in this new man you have each and every day. It looks at this and sees the way of sin as the way of slavery, for which it rightly is. And God instructs you, it is the way of freedom and the new life that you've been claimed by the Lord and have all that he has has done. And so you do good works, which the Lord teaches you, not to save you, but because you're a Christian and your delight is in what God teaches you, what your father speaks to you and shows you as good in this life. And you're diligent in your new life in Christ to live according to those commandments and in doing good works and love towards your neighbor. So on this day, then listen to your Lord who teaches you from the Sermon on the Mount, Moses and the Ten Commandments, St. Paul in the Epistle reading, Because God is showing you the importance of these things in your life as they reveal your sin, as they guide you as a Christian, how you should walk in this world as a baptized child of God. And most importantly, though, find your consolation in Jesus and your Lord, who is your righteousness. Trust in him who has redeemed you by his blood. Jesus alone is good. And he indeed has fulfilled all righteousness by his life, his death and his resurrection. So behold your Lord, who is your righteousness, and live. His righteousness far exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, because his righteousness is a real lasting righteousness, and he gives this righteousness to you. I have a painting in our living room of Luther pointing to Christ crucified. And Luther has a famous saying, it's from the Wittenberg um, altarpiece by Lucas Cronach. Right? We look at Christ, we see him, and we say, there, he, he is my righteousness. And it is, it's yours, it's counted to you by grace through faith. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, sin doesn't have dominion over you because Christ has made atonement for your sin. We sang, but Christ, the second Adam, came to be our sin and woe and shame, to be our life, our light, our way, our only hope, our only stay. Jesus said, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. And so that's Jesus, and he is yours, and you are his. Your Lord has indeed accomplished your salvation. He's done it all. He's fulfilled God's law perfectly for your benefit. And he is the perfect sacrifice for your sin and the sin of the whole world. So rejoice in that righteousness that is his, your Lord's, and now that belongs to you. He's given it to you in the waters of your baptism. And God's word is clear on this. You have Christ, you have salvation, you have forgiveness. 
Rejoice this day that you belong to Christ and delight in what he teaches you. And don't be ashamed of God's word. Don't be ashamed of the Ten Commandments. Don't be ashamed of your baptism and the new life you have been given to you in those saving waters. But rejoice instead and be free to really live in this life as one who has been called out of darkness and into the marvelous light of Christ, the light that no darkness can overcome. Walk through this life as one who knows your inheritance is God's eternal kingdom, which has no end. So hear this word, treasure this word, live this word, and rejoice in this word. As one by man all mankind fell, and born in sin was doomed to hell. So by one man who took our place, we all were justified by grace. We thank you, Christ, new life is ours, new light, new hope, new strength, new powers. This grace our every way attend until we reach our journey's end. Amen. The peace of God which surpasses all understanding, guard and keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.